at school, I see myself as a dyslexic loser because I was dyslexic. And, you know, I couldn't read that well. I couldn't write that well. I also had a terrible list. I couldn't talk that well as well. So I couldn't read, couldn't write, and couldn't talk. And I kind of left school with, like, no qualifications and ended up in, like, low-paid, low-skilled jobs. I was working, like, manufacturing, warehousing. And I just thought my career is just going to go nowhere. I'm always going to end up in these sort of low-paid, low-skilled jobs. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, let me introduce you to Chris Delaney, also known as Dyslexic Loser. But more famously these days, he's known as Employment King. Yep, it's true. Chris talked himself in believing that he was a loser. And in fact, his view of himself did come true. However, he also started to recognise some skills in himself he hadn't realised before. Because he also lacked confidence in speaking, he was a natural listener. First for his friends, then to young kids, vulnerable adults, during his volunteering days in charities. Not only did he realise he was a good listener, he also knew how to grow people's confidence in themselves. Not bad for a loser, right? This is one of the best turnaround stories I've heard in a while, and I know you're going to like it. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Really good. Thank you very much. Really excited to be here on your show. Thank you. <laughs> that's good. And most people do say they're excited to be here, so that's always good. But I'm particularly interested in having you on the show because there's lots of facets and um, threads in your you know, what you do today that I'm fascinated by. I've been involved in kind of personal development for now for about 14 years myself, and it never goes away. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, I became a lifelong learner once I left school. <laughs> you know? uh, I didn't learn anything at school, but it's, I only learned it in life, basically. Um so, Chris, I'll, I'll start with my first question to get us going, and that is tell us a little bit about you. Where were you born? Have you moved around a bit about your schooling, education? How did that all go? Um, and then, you, you know, your first job, your career, how did that go? And then how did you get into the fascinating things that you're doing today? So I'm going to hand it over to you. I'm going to sit back and listen. <laughs> Hopefully I can tell an interesting story then. I'm sure you will. <laughs> it's really interesting uh, with your opening statement because you said that you are, you are a lifelong learner, which I am, but you didn't start being a lifelong learner until you left school. And that's kind of my journey as well because at school I see myself as a dyslexic loser because right. I was dyslexic. You know, I couldn't read that well. I couldn't write that well. I also had a terrible list. I couldn't talk that well as well. So I couldn't read, couldn't write, and couldn't talk. And I kind right. of left school with like no qualifications and ended up in like low paid, low skilled jobs. I was working like manufacturing warehousing. And I just thought my career is just going to go nowhere. I'm always going to end up in these sort of low paid, low skilled jobs. 
But I did always have that thing inside myself where I wanted to help people. I was the sort of kid where my friends would tell me their problems because I'd just sit there and be quiet. I think it's because yeah, I had a list, but I didn't want to talk. I'd just, just sit there and be quiet, and people just tell me all the problems. Uh, but I just had this natural empathy with people. I was a great right. listener. I was able to ask those questions that got people to open up. And it was like a natural skill that I had. So I'm working in these low-skilled jobs, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get paid for helping people. No. So I would volunteer my time. So I used to like take adults out who had disabilities. We used to take rock climbing and hiking as part of this charity. I used to volunteer with scout groups and youth groups. I just got involved in helping yeah. people on a volunteering basis. And I was learning loads from the experience. You know, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So being with the young people, being with the disabled adults, yes. um, using these question techniques, I was picking up all these skills. And I kept thinking, how can I make people be more confident? And that got me into like reading a little bit more. So I went off and did my GCSE English and my maths as well and started reading books. So I'm a kid who's dyslexic, never read any books in my life. You know, we tried mm. reading Romeo uh, and Juliet, Shakespeare in school, and I really struggled to understand yeah. that language being dyslexic. But I started to, to learn to read. So this was a big milestone in my life because back at work, I had my lucky break. So I'm working in a warehouse yes. and I get a chance to learn how to drive a faultless truck. You know what a faultless right. truck is? Yes. Yeah, so it's one of those big trucks that goes to the vans, unloads the pallets and puts them down. So I'm on this course. Every boy hand... wants to drive one of those. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I love it. I was so excited. When he said, do you want to do We got some funding from the government to, to learn how to drive faultless trucks. Do you want I was like, yes, put yes. me on that truck. 100%. And I got on it. And I, was like, yeah. I was the king of the truck as well. I was so good on that truck. You know, I was um, taking it through the chicanes. I was lifting up the pallets, putting it down, reversing my couch. I was great on that truck because Brilliant. I was confident. I'm a kinesthetic learner. But my colleagues, they were really anxious and really nervous. And every mm. time they got onto the truck, they were struggling. They crashed into the chicane. Then they reversed oh. it into the warehouse door. Then they drove over the instructor a couple of times. They were <laughs> terrified. They were really anxious. <laughs> and the instructor said to me, he said, Chris, you're going to pass your thoughtless truck course. Yes. But then he turned around to my colleagues and went, but I think you guys might fail. So it made these nervous people even more anxious. Yeah. So I went over to him realizing they were so anxious. I, and I did this visualization technique that I used to do with the adults when they were scared of rock climbing. So I whispered yeah. this technique to him. Two minutes later, they get on the truck and they're really confident. They drive <laughs> for the chicane, lift up the pallet, put it down, reverse back out. And in the end, they passed the test. So oh, that wow. wasn't my lucky break. My lucky break was 12 months later. 12 months after passing my faultless truck course, the guy who taught me to drive to faultless truck comes to see me back at work. And he's like, hey, Chris, do you remember who I am? I was like, yeah, you're the faultless truck guy. He's like, no. I'm the managing director of the organization. The reason I came down that day to teach you to drive to faultless truck is because the instructor rang up hill and you guys were booked in for the course. And yeah. I always remember you whispering something to those colleagues of yours making them really, from being really anxious to be really, really confident. We yeah. call you the magic whisperer because we talk about you in each of our monthly team meetings. I was like, oh, wow. this is great, you know, but why have you come all the way down here to tell me this great story? He goes, we've got an opportunity. We're expanding our team and we see something special in you. We want to yeah. teach you to be a thoughtless truck instructor. I was like, wow, this is like, this is going to be my lucky break. And then yeah. he goes to me, the course to be a thoughtless and Faultless truck instructor is three thousand pound. I was Whoa. like, "What?" And I thought it was like a big con, like you know, here's a big yeah. uh, carrot. Here's the you know, you can have a job, but you got to give us three grand. Yes. I'm on like two pound an hour. I ain't got thirty pound in my bank. There's no way I can afford that course. And he no. read that on my facial expressions, and he goes, "We're going to pay for your course. 
we're going to mentor you. We're going to support you. We know you struggle at school. We know you're dyslexic. We know you, you know, uh, wasn't that good at reading and writing. So we're going to support you. We're going to develop you. We're going to mentor you. But we're going to give you this sort of golden opportunity because we see something special in you. And wow. I think, I think my success comes down to two things. One, being passionate about what I do. So I'm passionate about helping people. And yeah. the second one is that I say, I say yes to opportunities. It'd be right. so easy for me to say, you know what? I'm out of my comfort zone. It's too big of a jump. I can't do that. I'm struggling with reading and writing. I'll say no. But instead, mm. I said yes. And what I always do now when I get a new opportunity is I say yes. <laughs> I love that story. That's absolutely brilliant. Well, you said your your lucky break came later on, but it actually happened the first time on because he spotted you and but it took him 12 months to do something, which is really interesting. So they've been talking about you for 12 months, calling you the magic whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so you got you went on the course. How did you do? So uh, I did okay on the thoughtless truck course because, you know, kinesthetic learner, it's a kinesthetic course, and I became this uh, thoughtless truck instructor. Yeah. Uh, and I loved that. I was traveling around um, the Northwest uh, in England and was teaching yeah. all these uh, adults to be a uh, thoughtless truck driver. It was really funny, though, because I, I was quite young as well. I was only like, I don't know, maybe 20 or something like that. But I looked wow. really young as well. And you go into yeah. these warehouses where, on average, the age was like 45 to 65. Yeah. And they see this like young kid walk in. I'm your fault looking short to guy. And they're like, who the hell is this? So I had to learn to kind of be confident and assertive in myself, like really quickly to get respect uh, yes. from this uh, older generation who was like yeah. highly experienced, been driving a truck for like 20 years, but just didn't have the license. Right. And we was then going around getting people the license. But we also did NVQ assessing. So we used to go right. into warehouses and, uh, and production places and do NVQs. But yes. that meant loads of writing. And like I said, mm. being dyslexic, I really struggled. So I had to like, um, you know, spell different words. So like assessor, as an example, I had to write that on these reports. And I couldn't spell it. So I had to write out like thousands of times at night to learn how to spell it. And um, I, so I used like techniques. So one of the, the most common misspelled words in the UK is separate. You yes. either spell it S-E-P-A-R-A-T-E or S-E-P-A-R-T-E. Um, so either one of those two ways is like the most common way to spell it. And I remember thinking, like, I need to learn techniques to learn how to spell. So yeah. for the word separate, I would imagine being on a plane. And as I stood on a plane, the doors open. I mean, we were like 40,000 feet in the air and all these winds blowing through the, the open door. And I stood there looking down at all these small cows on the ground and I jump out of the plane. And as I jump out of the plane, I'm falling towards the earth, plummeting towards the earth. And as I look down, these small cows are getting bigger and bigger and bigger the faster I fall, uh, potentially to my death. And as I'm jumping out that plane, I can hear my heartbeat banging and banging and banging uh, inside my chest. And as I think I'm going to die, I pull the cord and my parachute opens up and I float gently down to earth. And the reason I remember or visualize jumping out of a plane is because separate is spelled S-E-P-A-R-A, -A, so para for parachute, T-E. So I use visualization techniques to help me remember how to spell these words that my dyslexic brain uh, often confuses me with. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. It's that I mean it's not only that you made it you got that visualization in your head but you made it a really 
dangerous one as well. <clears throat> so, so there's lots of emotion going on because the brain's stupid. When you when you visualize something, the body believes it's actually happening to you. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, years ago, when I got into personal development, like 2004, <clears throat> I went on a Toastmaster speaking course because everybody was saying, if you want to be successful in your own business, you've got to learn how to speak to audiences, right? And I'd never done it before at work, well, in meetings, but not doing presentations to strangers. Anyway, I used to go to this Toastmasters course after work, I was still employed at the time, but I knew I was going to leave at some point and start my own business. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I used to drive to this uh, Toastmasters meeting. And by the way, for anybody that's listening, it's not Toastmaster as in making a toast uh, at an event or, you know, this is about public, it's a public speaking course. It's an American company. And I had to do my first seven-minute speech, which was talking about myself. That's easy, right? For seven minutes, talk about who you are and your life, and you know, where you've got to so far. <clears throat> but I'd never done it before to an audience. And the other thing was, I was really nervous, of course. But as I'm driving to work in the morning and driving away from work in the evening, I'm rehearsing what I'm going to say. I'd already written something down, but I was just going through my head what I'm going to say. As I'm doing it, I'm in my car. I think I was on the M6. I was getting butterflies in my stomach. And I was thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm in a car driving on the M6. I'm not even in front of anybody. And I'm getting butterflies in my stomach. That feeling, that anxious feeling, those nerves, you know, the adrenaline was flowing in my body. And that's because the brain is stupid. Whatever you think or visualize, it believes it's happening right now in the moment. And because I was visualizing myself standing in front of these people, being nervous, fluffing my lines, potentially, you know, so I, I just wanted to share that because when you talked about jumping out of the plane and all of those anxious feelings that you might be having, it's pushing that spelling of that word into your brain and getting it there. Definitely. I, I, I would say <laughs> what you what you focus on, you feel. So if you see yourself failing as a public speaker or in a job interview yeah. or you see yourself being scared of spiders, you focus on that, you'll feel that emotion. You, yes. And if you're scared or nervous about a particular stimuli or situation, you need to be able to flip that. Uh, and change it in a different way. I've got a technique that I'll, I'll quickly share with you uh, for your yes. audience members to do. You might yes. know this because you're into self-development, but uh, other people might not. So can you just think of something that you're scared of? You don't have to tell us what it is, but just think of something that makes you a bit anxious or, or you know, a bit afraid. Okay. And on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being you're terrified, it's like a phobic reaction, and one being you're calm and confident. Where are you on that scale? So say, what's the scale again? Uh, 10's the worst, and then one's like, you're okay. You're okay. Okay. How scared I am about doing it or uh, uh, I would uh, say... when, when you when you imagine it, how does it make you feel like really scared or calm? I would say probably probably a six, seven, seven. 
Yeah, about a seven. So someone who's phobic of a spider, as an example, when I ask them that question, they'll say like a nine or ten. Someone mm. who's anxious, normally between seven and eight, and then people who are a little bit like, you know, can deal with it, you'll say lower than that. So what you focus on, you feel. So when you imagine something you're scared of, then you, you feel that anxiety inside yourself. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, the, so what I want everyone to do, think of the thing they're scared of and put it on a, a scale of one to ten. And then everyone who's listening to this now, think of the thing you're scared of and get that thought in your head, get that picture, that movie in your head. I want you to imagine you can push it outside yourself. So, Michael, imagine pushing it outside yourself so you can see the picture floating in front of you so you can see the edges of that image, that, uh, that memory, that thought. And yes. just nod when you've done that. Yes. Yeah, perfect. And if it's a movie, so you've got moving things happening there, which most people mm. have when they're highly anxious, I want you to pause it so it becomes a stilled picture. Okay. Yeah, and everyone pause yours so it's a still picture. And now drain the colour from it so it becomes black and white. Yeah. So you've got this colourful movie, you pause it, you drain the colour so it's black and white. And the final yeah. thing I want you to do is put it into a big frame. So when you go to an art gallery, you see these big wooden or iron frames, aren't you? really thick, strong frames. Put yeah. your still black and white picture into that frame. Yeah. And the final thing I'm going to do, I'm going to imagine me reaching into your mind and taking hold of that picture. I'm going to grab hold of that picture now. And I'm going to pull it further and further away. So the more I pull it further and further away, the smaller it becomes. So it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's the size of a postcard, smaller yeah. and smaller and smaller. So it's the size of a stamp and smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's just a little dot on the horizon. And how do you feel now on a scale of one to 10? Um, about a three, I would say. So that's a great technique. Like that took us like 15 yeah. seconds. So if you, I don't know, in a job interview, just about to go on stage to do some public speaking and you're mm. a little bit anxious, think about what it is you're imagining, push yeah. it outside your mind, pause it, put it in a frame, make it black and white, and then just push it further and further away. And that will reduce the anxiety because what you focus on, you feel. So if you move that image away, so you're no longer focusing on it, you no yeah. longer feel those same emotions. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. That's brilliant. Okay, so back to you. <laughs> so you're training all these senior guys as a little nipper, 20 years old. How's it going? Yeah, well, I've got imposter syndrome, so I'm loving the job. Right. I have lots of banter with the people I'm training. People are passing the course, so I'm actually doing really well. And we yes. often get this, people who've got imposter syndrome, they do really well in their day-to-day -day, you know, duties and their job. But inside our heads, we're kind of going, I'm a failure. I'm going to get caught out. People don't realize that I'm rubbish at my job. And it took yeah. me a long time to kind of, you know, build up that inner confidence, that self-worth and that self-belief. And, yes. you know, my, my experience came from this dyslexic kid. So, you know, I struggled with a school. I had to go to like, a, they used to call it a specialist school for a couple of years yes. and yeah. you know, I had to get loads of support. So the stories I told myself was, you know, you're rubbish, you're different than, than everyone else. You're probably not going to be successful. But as I got into this uh, world of training other people, I started to believe, you know, I am actually really good. All my clients are passing the course. People are giving me really good feedback on the evaluations uh, and developing myself all the time. And every, every day I teach someone, I'm getting better at teaching people. Um, yes. And I had to change the stories that I was telling myself. And when I changed those stories, my confidence grew, my self-esteem grew, my self-worth grew. And I just became the person that, I, you know, I always wanted to be. Yeah. Brilliant. And, okay, so you, you, you were kind of overcoming that imposter syndrome scenario, but were you still in the job then or did you do something else or how, 
how did your career progress from there? So I'm loving this job. I'm loving teaching people the forklift truck courses. I'm loving doing the MVQ assessing. And, you know, I'm getting confident now and I'm doing really well. I can see myself becoming, you know, a senior MVQ assessor. Yes. And then the boss who owned the company said, oh, we're closing down the organization. I'm moving to Australia. Uh, and that's kind of, I was thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'm in this great place. I'm going to end up working back in these low-skilled jobs. Uh, oh. Kind of like in that, in that moment, lost the confidence. And then I said to myself, no. This is just another opportunity. You done that well in this position, so find something else. And then you're getting a job uh, in an employability program when we teach unemployed people how to be successful uh, to get a job. So we teach them like how to write CVs, how to job search, uh, how to do job interviews, and that that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up getting this job. And what I realised in everything I'd done, everything from working with the youth, the disabled adults, the uh, people who were nervous on a faultless truck. And then these unemployed people, the one thing that I notice is the people who are su- successful, who kind of, you know, pass the courses or got the jobs or whatever, but the people who had confidence and the people yeah. who weren't successful, who, who were people who had so much anxiety that they didn't want to take any action. So mm. I started going on loads of courses about how to make people more confident, how to overcome anxieties and phobias and fears. And I started using the techniques I was learning on these uh, courses and from these books with these unemployed adults and getting them to feel more confident about themselves. So then they go out and take more action. They apply for more jobs. They apply for higher pay positions as well. They <clears throat> try and jump job sectors, which they never would do before because we was teaching the techniques to get them to be more confident about themselves. Right. And that's the thing that spurred me on uh, to get into like life coaching and hypnotherapy because I wanted to learn how to make people really confident really quickly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. And... um. Sorry, how did you manage to get that job? So you had to switch from one to another, but you were teaching people how to drive forklifts. How did you go from there to <laughs> helping them? That's, that's a really incredible transition. How did that happen? Well, the, the big transition, though, was from a warehouse operative to a, to a, a, a forklift truck instructor. I thought that was like the, the big jump for me. Yeah. Uh, and. What you have to remember, especially like these days, most professionals now will have three different careers in their lifetime. Yeah. So most of us will have three different careers. Most of us job hop every three to five years, and, we, and you know we change jobs every three years. We're constantly now in a world of in the world of work, in a world of changing work. We yes. do things all, all the time. Where probably back then it wasn't uh, you know so common. But this, what you always have to look at is your transferable skills. So I was teaching people to drive forklift trucks and, and assessing them in warehousing. But well, that mean that I needed to learn how to have uh, empathy, communication, listening skills. I understood about learning styles, understood about planning programs. And all, it was all these kind of skills from my day-to-day duties that was dead relevant to the employment sector. The things right. I didn't know was interview techniques, how to do application forms, how to job mm. search. But mm. I knew how to train people. I knew how to motivate people. I knew how to make people confident. So yeah. I went to the organization where they taught me the knowledge how to do a CV in a job interview. Um, but my skills was in planning those sessions, delivering those sessions and making my participants feel really confident uh, yes. and, and to, to take action. Um, and that's, that's what you always have to think about it, is what are your skills, what are your qualities, what are your talents and knowledge? And what, then what are the things that you need to learn to get that job that you want? Uh, yeah. And sometimes the employee will teach you things, especially you know, with degree level apprenticeships, the employee will teach you lots of things. Uh, and yes. another positions, another job roles, another job sectors, you might need you know, a set of essential criteria to get into that position. Um, so I used my transferable skills. But again, it was that 
you know, should I apply for this job? Oh, no, they'll think I'm not good enough. Or should I just right. go for it? And, and if I don't get it, then I don't get it. Always say yes to opportunities. Right. Okay. But you, considering you had this imposter syndrome kind of running through you, 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 overcome, you overcame quite a lot then in order to go for that job even and, you know, focus on the good things, i.e. the transferable skills that you had for that job rather than focusing on the skills that you didn't have. I also use fear as well. So we're motivated by two things, aren't we? We're motivated by pain and pleasure. So the, mm. the pleasure for that is, you know, if I get this job as a trainer, I'll get this new set of skills, I'll get a good salary, you know, I'll be, you know, secure in this, uh, this, this employment. The yeah. fear was, if I don't apply for it, I'm going to be unemployed, or I'm going to, I'm going to have to go back to these low-paid, low-skilled jobs. So I kept these two things. You know, if I go for it, it'll be great. If I don't go for it, I'm going to have this terrible life that I don't want. And I used those two things as like my leverage <laughs> to, to like make me take action. Right, brilliant. Okay. Right then, so you're helping all these great people getting jobs. How long did you do that for? Well, I did that for quite a while. Uh, I actually had probably my second uh, lucky break there. So I can't remember how long I was working there for, but it might have been like five or six years or something. And I was doing right. really well uh, as a trainer. We used to set up things. So I, because I was into motivation and building people's confidence, we used to set up like little systems. So right. what we found was people were forced to come on our courses by the job center or they wouldn't get the benefits. So mm. when they came on our course, they was like really angry and upset and they didn't want to be there. And they kind of, you know, used to take that out on me and my team. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I was in a meeting. And I said, like, we need to change the environment when people come in and one's really angry. It takes us like two or three days to get people on our side. And then yeah. they realize we're there to help and we help them and, and they're very successful. So uh, a couple of things I noticed is the first people to arrive on the course often arrived early. And they were the ones who was really keen, actually, to get a job that was really highly motivated. So mm. when they came in, we used to have like job application forms because we used to all be handwritten ones. We used to have them ready for them. So we'd say, what sort of job are you looking for? They'd tell us we're getting these forms. And we started getting them to apply for jobs like we're in minutes of them being into the training center. And then right. the next lot of people came in. We were kind of half motivated. But then they seen these three or four people already applying for jobs. So then that encouraged them through like social proof. You know, people are applying for jobs, so I must apply for jobs. That got them applying for it. And then the trainers would go around and kind of like, you know, have a bit of a joke with people, give them some support, give them some advice. So when the hard uh, or unmotivated people came in who didn't want to be there, who was going to be quite angry, they came into this environment where everyone's laughing, joking. Everyone's filling out application forms. There's like jobs going everywhere. And it kind of just got caught up in that like excited mix. Uh, yeah. And I realized that if you can set the scene in a certain way, you can kind of use that environment to motivate people. Brilliant. So I was doing this and I was getting more people jobs than any other center. Uh, and then my manager ended up going off work ill. And the area manager came around and said, right, guys, to the training team, right, every, uh, guys, it was just a group of lads at that time in the, in the training center. Uh, right, guys, your, your manager's off. Um, you're going to not have a manager for like a week or two weeks, and then we're going to get someone to come in temporary. And I remember thinking, this is another opportunity. Say yes to opportunities. And I stood up and said, don't you worry about it. We can manage this center. Not a problem. We can, we'll, I'll take charge. We'll get things sorted. We've got this training course starting. We've got this going on. We'll get things uh, happening. And she was like pretty impressed with this like confident uh, guy standing up. 
So in those two weeks, I made loads of changes. Like we took all down, like everything off the walls. That was like really outdated. We created our own posters. We put all these things. We made like job boards and we did all this sort of stuff. And two weeks later, the year when you manage comes back in, she sees us like change in the room. Like everyone's looking really bright, really cool. I've, I've rang up the job center. We've got more clients booked on. We've got all these things happening. And she went, this is a guy who takes action. And I ended up becoming a manager uh, <laughs> because, of, because, we, uh, because of that opportunity, because I just stood out from the crowd. And I said yeah. yes to that opportunity. And that's what led me into kind of getting into management uh, training positions. Oh, I love it. <laughs> this is like the blueprint of how to do things. Yeah, fantastic. I, that's amazing, man. Really, really good. Uh, how did that make you feel? Oh, I loved it. I, I was so happy because expect, uh, the, the thing I like about, uh, you know, being dyslexic at school, I'm re- I, honestly, I really thought I was a loser and didn't think I was going to be successful. That mm. every so often, I, like, that just pops into my head and I see this like transition. Yeah. yeah. So if you think of, like when I had my list and I couldn't talk that well, um, and I, you know, struggling communication. As a hypnotherapist, you have to talk very slowly and have mm. great diction, and you know, use all these language techniques. I was dyslexic, and now I wrote a couple of books and stuff. You know, I wasn't confident, and now I to, now I teach people confidence. I love yeah. that. Uh, that um, uh, what's the word? The, com- the comparison of who I was yeah. uh, and and who I am now. So it just excites me all the time, and I think it's that excitement and that comparison yeah. that, that compels me to keep moving forward. And I think it's a great story of, you know, whatever hardship or whatever cards you've been dealt in life, it doesn't mean you have to stay there and accept the cards that you've been dealt, you know, um, because it's like energy, nothing, nothing stays the same. You, you can make changes if you want to. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you think okay. about it, if you think about Elon Musk, he did the same thing. I love his story, Elon Musk. So basically, he realized tech was going to be a big thing and he applied yeah. for loads of tech jobs. And all the, com- all the big companies said, no, no, we, we don't want you. And turned Elon Musk down. Like, you can't believe that nowadays, can you? So because he couldn't get a, a paid salary position in tech, he ended up starting up his own business and created PayPal. And now mm. he's putting rockets on Mars. <laughs> I, you know, I wonder, I, wonder what, I wonder what those interviewers are thinking now. We should have, we should have got that guy, shouldn't we? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we should have paid £35,000. <laughs> I know. It's just madness, madness. Um, okay, so keep t- keep going with the story. Uh, keep going with the story. So I was doing these paid jobs and part of me kind of thought, you know, maybe I should set up my own business. And I, because I loved, loved helping people, I ended up setting up a life coaching business Hmm. Uh, and again, I kind of didn't know what I was doing, jumped in there. My first client, uh, my first paid client was uh, this client who I met in a coffee house in Manchester. It's the worst place to do life coaching in a coffee house in Manchester because it's really busy. There's music on, everyone's like there chatting. And I remember sitting there going, why, why, why have I not hired? Well, I know why I didn't hire him because I charged such a low rate just to get a client that you know, I couldn't afford to, to hire him. But no. I was like, oh, this is really, really bad. And the client came in. And I nearly started apologizing to the client, which is, you know, you don't want to start your session off that way. No. But because, because I was experienced in school, you know, working with thousands of people, all the unemployed people, the, uh, the, all the youth work that I used to do, you know, the thoughtless work. I was so experienced now, hours and hours and hours of working mm. with people that I just had this like, ability, even in the noisy coffee house, 
to ask these coaching style questions to this uh, this client and and in that one hour session like really making a big difference and I thought oh this is great you know I can I can kind of get paid uh, as a self-employed person uh, yeah. doing life coaching and all the money I made from that and, and from my salary as well I was constantly putting into like self-development so I was paying for like you know NLP courses life coaching courses learn about solution focus questioning and uh, that moved me on to doing hypnotherapy courses uh, and everything else. And I was just putting that money back into my own development because my goal is always to get someone who's anxious, scared, phobic, and then in one session, get them to be a confident person. That was like always yeah. my goal. Yeah. And I can do that now. So I get a client who's scared of a spider. And it used to take about 10 sessions to help people overcome like a phobia um, full of spiders. Yeah. And I can do that in 60 minutes now, even less like people come to me, we're in an hour the cure to that spo- that fight spider phobia. <laughs> okay, so I need to um in the story, I can't remember because there's so much going on in my head right now because <laughs> it's such a brilliant story. Where when did you do your life coaching hypnotherapy training? At what point did you do that? So I was doing the employability training. Um, yes. And I think it's the kind of time I got to a manager. I remember wanting to then do life coaching a little bit more because I was right. having so much success. So I went on a, like a life coaching course and got my right. first life coaching qualification. But I always did this thing like when you kind of do any course, you kind of go, right. I said to myself, if I do a life coaching course, I'll know everything I need to know. So that's it. I don't need to do any more training. Yeah. I know everything. And then I can help yes. one person. I can help these people. Did the life coaching course and then there's like an element about motivation and I thought actually I just need to learn more about that element so I did a course about this motivational thing and then I learned yeah. about NLP on that course and I thought actually if I just learn about NLP <laughs> it doesn't stop by the way like now I'm into like neuroscience <laughs> and all this sort of stuff uh, but yeah. I remember doing the life coaching uh, and wanting to learn how to do like a quick a quicker way to help people sometimes right. like the traditional life coaching you know it's more like a long journey with someone about setting goals and achieving those goals yeah but i really want to focus on the people who was uh more in a predicament where they were so terrified or anxious about something or so low in confidence mm-hmm. that they needed to turn that around quickly and i thought oh, hypnotherapy or nlp is really good for that because you can get someone hypnotized and use the nlp techniques and that's like a faster way to do it and yes. what i kind of created now is like a um you know emerge with all the best bits of all the best therapies that I learned to help my clients to be successful like a lot quicker. Brilliant. Okay. So you you did all that training whilst you were still employed. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when what when was the moment that you said, right, that's it now. I've been employed. I've got all these skills. I'm gonna go it alone. This is Chris. He's gonna set up his own business. And I'm going to help people with their issues <laughs> with all these techniques that I've now learned. When, when, when did that happen? So all for, for like the last, I don't know, 20 years or something, uh, most of my salary jobs are all contract work. So it's often companies who have government funding to then help these vulnerable people. And I either manage the projects or deliver the projects or, or work with them. But it's dead temporary, like 12 months, some of them three years, like they're really, really short. So I was, yeah. I was working and kind of like when I first did my life coaching, I was at my first mortgage as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if, I, if this job dries up and there's nothing else, I'm going to be really stuck. You know, I've got this mortgage stuff. So yeah. I, always yeah. wanted, I always wanted a second income. 
And that's yeah. that's the reason why I started up uh, the life coaching because I wanted uh, to have that second income. And I do it now, you know, I get contract work where I kind of get like a salary. Uh, I got the income from the books, from the courses, from the coaching, from the hypnotherapy. I have my fingers in many pies because I like variety. But everything I do is about helping people. The same techniques that I work with a spider phobia, the same techniques, generally speaking, that I work with someone who needs interview coaching, or the same techniques of managing a team that are on a, a particular project. It's all about getting people to feel confident in themselves getting them to uh, want to take action and to have a goal that they know they can achieve. Right. Got you. Okay. Fantastic. So paint the picture then. I've got all of these different things that you're doing right now and you're obviously getting contracts as well. So, but in Chris Delaney's business today, um, just give us the shopping list then that what people can buy and what, how can they get, into learning more about that to help themselves? So I, I really specialize now in uh, job interview techniques uh, because I always think the job interview is such an important part in people's lives. Like they don't even realize how important it is. So one thing is the number one fear is public speaking. Out of all yeah. the fears, that's the one everyone's afraid of. So yeah. being on stage, being on job interviews, or even you know meeting new people in parts. We hate being the center of attention because we're scared of getting rejected that's that's like the bottom line why why we don't yes. like public speaking but if you're successful in a job interview and you can get like a good pay rise or get a position that you'd be uh, really you know happy with your kind of work-life balance is really strong because you've got a job you're happy with you've got a salary that's giving you the life that you want and you you know you kind of work a third of your life in whatever industry it is so you need to be excited about that industry but if you if you're scared answers in job interviews you often take a low-paid job, take jobs that you don't really like, and that creates like a bad work-life balance where you're kind of anxious. You sometimes take it out on your family members, and you know you're very stressed, and and, and your stress then relates to to bad health. So I'm dead passionate about helping people to be good at job interviews because it's a, it's a bridge to other things. So I did it. So I've done I've done this for years, but more recently, when COVID came, I started reading academic papers about what makes a, a successful job interview. But yes. all the academic papers that I read, like I read like a hundred of them from across the globe, basically designed to help employers predict the suitability of the applicants so they get like high-powered teams. So it's all designed, the research, uh, for employers. So yes. I read all this research and I flipped it on itself to help the applicants be more successful. So just as an example, a couple of things um, is successful people will give a, a higher number of words per answer than unsuccessful people. And that right. often relates to someone's level of confidence during the recruitment process. If you're right. confident, you're more likely to talk longer and give uh, real-life stories. Uh, where if you're anxious, you're more likely to use excessive filler words. You're more likely as well to disclose weaknesses when you've not been asked to disclose weaknesses. So as, as an example, people, uh, when I do interview, mock interviews with people, I, I ask this question. So it'd be something like, uh, tell me about a strength, like that generic question. And people who are really confident will just talk about a strength that's dead relevant to the job role. People who are anxious, though, will go, tell you about a strength. Well, I'm not very good at, and they'll tell you a weakness first, kind of, kind of just saying what's in the head. Oh, I'm not very good at this thing. But, uh, and then, so they start self-declosing weaknesses when they're not even uh, being asked as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So when you say you flipped it, how, so what? What did you do with that information then? Is that something you used to coach people with or is it written down yeah. or, or 
Yes. So I created a, a model actually called the interview prediction grid test. And basically um, the way you're perceived in a job interview is based on your level of perceived knowledge and experience and your level of confidence in that job interview. And that creates like one of 16 uh, interview identities. It's kind of like Myers-Briggs, your personality, but for the, for the job interview. Yeah. So you might be highly skilled and highly experienced in the world of work, <clears throat> but if that comes across weak uh, during the recruitment process, then you're going to be perceived of having low level of confidence and experience. Right. And your level of confidence as well is the thing that gives you the ability to talk, you know, to be a self promoter, um, to make your answers really relevant, uh, and to and to give um, strength based language during those interviews compared right. to like weak language. Um, so there's like 16 interview identities, uh, and that's how the employee perceives you. Like the employee don't know these 16 interview identities, but they'll kind of go, there's just something about that person that I really like. Or they'll be kind of saying, you know what, I knew from the beginning they weren't going to be suitable. And what happens if you've got a weak identity at the very beginning of the job interview, which is that's when it's created, is we subconsciously then search for evidence that backs up our belief. So if I think yeah. you're going to be a poor candidate, I will then search subconsciously for evidence, like when you use weak language, when you don't mention certain criteria, your posture, your your tonality, your jet, uh, all this stuff, and kind of going, I knew he was going to be rubbish, or he is rubbish because of this reason. Oh, there's another example why he's not going to be suitable. And I'm, I'm clocking all this negative stuff. Yeah. And the research shows as well that the employer's uh, belief affects their behavior that then affects the applicant's behavior, create a, creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. I thought you was going to be rubbish. So I act in a way that makes you then act in a rubbish way that, uh, that proves to me that you were going to be rubbish uh, uh, long term as well. It's really interesting, the psychology behind job interviews. Yeah, I, I know. I, I have some personal, not experience, but personal, I've written about this years ago about the interview process. And the interview process is the worst process ever invented by businesses. <laughs> and employers because it tells you nothing about the individual. People also, Chris, back me up, people tell porkies as well in interviews, porkies on their CVs, all to dry and get the job. And eventually they'll get found out anyway. So, you know, what's the point? But the other thing as well that I think is grossly unfair, the company never allows, I'm not saying when they've got a long list of employees, you know, potential applicants to, to deal with. But once you're down to a short list of, I don't know, three people, then it's time for the applicant to interview the company, you know, and actually go around the company and interview the people that already work there and go, what is it like to work here? You know, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Allow the applicant to do that because sometimes you go for a job, you're dead excited because you're desperate for the job when you get it. But when you get in the company, you think, this is not what I signed up for. You know, this is not turning out how I was hoping because your, your brain is so clouded by the excitement of getting a job, getting money, wanting your lifestyle, not being dependent on the state or your parents or your siblings or whatever that you don't see the faults in the company. You haven't done your research on the company properly and you haven't asked the people that work there because I guarantee you in every company, there are major issues <laughs> with management 
and with the people that already work there too. It's, it's so similar to when, when the employer likes or dislikes someone that they search for evidence. If you're the job applicant and you think, right, I need this job, it's the best yes. company, you know, you, you then search, uh, you have tunnel vision, you search for that evidence. But once you've been there three or four weeks or three or four months, you then, you then you know, the tunnel opens up and you see the reality of whatever that situation is. And there's so much money and time and effort lost between yes. employers and applicants not having, you know, a suitable match. It should all be like a really open process where, like you said, the job candidate can walk around, see what's going on, understand the culture of the company, and the employer should have a recruitment process that best suits that position they're, they're, they're recruiting yeah. for. Because if not, one of, one of them isn't going to like the other one. And then, you know, you've got to leave, you've got a job search, you've got to re-recruit for that position. I always, I always laugh. Um, my, my wife quite enjoys watching a program called First Date on TV. And so you have this clip where people are having a meal together in this restaurant. And it's really well produced, you know, and they're telling their story and he tells his story, she tells his story. They're getting along really well. You know, some don't, but generally speaking, they get on. You go, yeah, that's a match. Then afterwards, they're put in front of the camera next to each other and one goes. And then the, the guy behind the camera or the produ production team goes, well, are you going to see each other again? And they go, no, you go first. No, no, you go first. <laughs> and, the and the person goes, no, actually, no. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, none of that came out in conversation across the table. Yeah. No one kind of goes, you know, by the way, this is a really great conversation, but it's not going to go anywhere type of thing. Um, they wait until they're in front of the camera. And it kind of reminds me of the job interview because. The same thing happens, you know, go, oh, yeah, you know, how did, how did you do? Oh, yeah, they were really interested, you know, and it went really well. We had a really great conversation. In fact, we spoke for an hour and a half. And then the letter comes in. I'm sorry, you didn't get yeah. the job. And you go, what happened? You know, yeah. why didn't this, this they tell me? that? <laughs> There's kind of two things as well, because um, you can either be in that position where you think it's gone great, and then from the employer's point of view, you, you're kind of not suitable, and you're like, you was never going to, going to get that position. Mm. And, and then the flip side of it is the research shows that there's normally, so most employers now use a structured job interview where they have a list of criteria, you ask the same set of questions in the same order to each applicant, and their answers are cross-referenced against the criteria. And the, the recruitment panel will have even example answers. So one point is this type of answer, two points is this other type of answer, all the way up to four or five points. Um, but the research shows that often the top three people only have like one or two points between them. So you might be rejected for a position because yeah. the person who was successful had one more one point, point than you. And sometimes when I talked about the interview identity, so your level of knowledge and experience versus your level of confidence, sometimes uh, referencing uh, a bit more industry sector models uh, or theories or using a bit more industry jargon or making your examples more uh, sector related or even be a bit more confident because when you're confident you build more rapport uh, with a person because people like confident people you kind of like nod more you gesture more you talk uh, with vocal variety a little bit more so you have like this like um, um, confident thing that people like in you but the employer sees something in you as well yes so uh, even like three or four percent an improvement in your interview performance can result in those extra two or three points, which means the difference between getting the job offer with that 10, 10K pay rise 
uh, or just being rejected because someone else got one or two points more than you. It, it all comes back to that good old phrase, which is people buy people first. Yeah. Do you know what's that interesting though as well? So I don't know if you know about uh, the kind of um, recent changes in the recruitment process. Because that, that phrase, I used to talk about that phrase all the time uh, when mm. I did interview coaching at the beginning. But what's happening now with global companies, so, you know, like the Amazons, Googles, Microsofts, they literally get uh, about 20,000 applications for every advertised mm. job. On yeah. average, it's 250. And for some jobs, you get like, you know, 25 or something. But these big companies are getting 20,000 applicants. My so, it's, yeah, it's, it's massive, isn't it? So humans just don't have the ability to uh, read or interview no. that amount of people. So they're using robots now. So yeah. they have robots that will um, scan people's CVs, resumes, and application forms looking for keywords relevant to that job sector. And the yeah. robot, the AI machine, decides who's going to the interview. And then you have uh, robot interviewers. So what's happening as a shifting interview is you normally book an interview slot at any time during two weeks, but any time 24-7 during those two weeks. So if you're living in America or Australia or England, you can, you can do these interviews because you can work globally now as well. Yes. And the robot will come on and it will ask you three interview questions. And it's just like a video uh, interview, but to, to an AI robot. And uh, it asks you a question and you have a minute to prepare and then you have one to two minutes to deliver that answer. And as right. those two minutes are up, the, that, that video just cuts off. So if you're halfway through your answer, it just <laughs> cuts off. Uh, and you had to answer three questions. And then the robot, the AI robot, will then scan your answers uh, to see who's got the suitability to go down to the human round of the recruitment process. So we're getting uh, AI bots doing lots of the recruitment for these large organizations. We're seeing a big change in this at the moment. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think that's a big downside of, of those big companies, that's for sure. Yeah. So the advice there is don't go for the big companies. <laughs> You'll just be a number <laughs> anyway. <laughs> go but, for the smaller you, ones. The thing is, though, if you're successful in those big companies, they're the ones that pay, you know, great salaries aren't in that sort of stuff so it's the, it's the pros Chris, and cons you and i know eventually you will, will not want to work in these big companies <laughs> <laughs> you know start your own business that's much more much more enjoyable hard work but enjoyable okay i, I, read, I read some research as well about starting your own business where they're saying millennials now most millennials will um like i said have three or four different careers in the lifetime but most of them will have a, a side hustle, like a part-time business. So it might be an Instagram account or a YouTube video or selling things they make on Etsy or something. But they reckon yes. most millennials would just have a, a second income through a part-time yeah. business. I agree, 100%. I mean, I, you'll have to listen to a podcast, a few podcasts back um, that I did with a, a young lady, a millennial, who's, who started her own business at like 20. And yeah, because she didn't, believe in going down the kind of, you know, conveyor belt of education, getting a degree, getting a low paid job, you know. So she started her business and she's done a fantastic journal uh, to help un <clears throat> unfulfilled millennials. <laughs> it's really, really good, actually. Oh, oh, what's it called again? Finding Direction. I've got a copy on my desk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Okay, brilliant. So your speciality is helping people find themselves first and then find jobs for themselves. Is that right? 
Yeah, definitely. The bottom line is is confidence. So, you know, I get phobic clients when I do my hypnotherapy. And that's just about being confident with whatever it is they're scared of. Uh, and with the job interviews that, you know, there's quite a lot of research into the, into the sessions yeah. I deliver. But, it, it, but the basic level is if you're confident, you'll talk confidence, more about the things confidence. you're good at. It's always about confidence. So, and confidence is your self-worth, isn't it? Your self-esteem. When you believe in yourself, mm. you're naturally confident. Yeah. So, so let's say I'm somebody, you know, who wants to get my CV up to date. I want to start applying for jobs. I want to find the right jobs. How do I go about that if I get in touch with you? What, how would you take people through kind of a process for that? Yeah. So my, my website's employmentking.co.uk and people normally just uh, contact me via there. But what I, what I always look at, it's always the one thing that's stopping them. So people go, I can't get a job. I can't get a new career. I'm being, I'm being you know, unsuccessful. And it's so generic that, isn't it? You know, most of us who, are, who, are, who have a negative perception of ourselves do it in a generic way. I call myself a dyslexic loser. That's such a generic term. So you always got to look for the specifics. So if you can't get a job, at what stage in that job timeline is stopping you? So can you find jobs that you're interested in? And if mm. you can, then you can take that. Does your CV or application form get you job interviews? Is it does it, you take that? Is your job interview re, re, resulting in job offers? If it's not, then that's the particular barrier for that particular person. Right. And then even in that job interview or even in that CV or whatever it is that's stopping you, it's what's part of that process is stopping you. So in the interview, is it your confidence? Is it that you can't give good examples? Is it that you don't really understand uh, the process of a structured job interview so you don't really know what to say? Or if your application form, are you, are you kind of not uh, recording um, experiences related to the right criteria they're looking for? Or is your application form um, set out in a way that the robots can't, can't read it properly? Some people do CVs where they do it in columns like in the 90s. And yes. if, if a robot reads that, they read from left to right. So yeah. they read the whole line, not, they don't go down in the columns at the moment, uh, yeah. which has been uh, a, a stucking point for some people. So look on a job timeline, what part of the thing is stopping you being successful? So and where are you is, failing? Yeah. So in what part yeah. of the process are you falling down? Yeah. And then, and then be specific on that one as well. So if it's your right. CV, try and analyze that CV. Like if your language weak, are you not got the right qualifications that the employer is asking for? Um, do, you, do you know you have better experience than, than what's recorded on there? Or same with a job interview as well. Like what part of the job interview is stopping you being successful? Is it one particular question that you're always weak on? So you know you're getting low scores and you can get that higher then you might likely uh, be offered a job role. Okay, brilliant. Love it. That makes a lot of sense, you know, to be able to pinpoint one particular area rather than go, oh, it's just not working for me, you know, to try and pinpoint it. Because even doing that will help you focus a little bit better on what it is that you've got to fix. Yeah. When we do it in a generic way, we frustrate ourselves. You know, when I yeah. left school, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a loser, I'm an idiot. You know, I was frustrated. And people do that with a job searching. They go, can't yeah. get a job, it, it's frustrating. But when you go, actually, my CV is good or my application form is good and it's just this one thing. And it's yeah. just this, you know, it's the interview or maybe it's just that I'm not giving detailed enough answers in the interview. When you know it's that one thing, you have to go, I only need to overcome that one thing and then I will be successful. And that in itself starts increasing that confidence level. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask you in a minute where people can get hold of you. You've already alluded to your website, but before I do, 
is there anything that I haven't asked that I should have done that you would like to mention still? No, I think we covered quite a lot on there. Like the, the bottom line is uh, when you reflect on how good you are, when you realize your strengths, your abilities and your skills, your self-worth and self-esteem will increase to a level that you become confident. So always think about the things that make you the better version of you. I love it. Chris, I've really enjoyed our chat today. Uh, it's fascinating. I, there is no doubt that you know a lot about this process, not especially about getting people that level of confidence that they need in order to succeed with their job interview. And oh, one last question that came in my head earlier and I forgot to ask it, and that is right now we're talking in 2022, it's February. What is your view on the kind of market at the moment? Because we're in the UK and everybody's going, oh, there's millions of jobs available and salaries are going up. So employers are having to pay higher salaries to attract people to their organization because there's a shortage of skills. What's your, what's your reading of the market today in the UK? It's kind of it's like we said a minute ago. It's about being specific. So some job sectors are like going up. There's like an increase in job roles because there's more demand for the products that they make. In other yeah. job sectors, uh, they've got an aging workforce. So most of the mm. workforce are a certain age, and they're going to retire in the next ten or twenty years, and, and not yeah. a lot of younger people are getting into there. Some jobs roles uh, are declining because uh, automation, AI uh, will replace humans doing those positions, or there's yeah. not demand for those goods. Um, so, so there's not, it's not like growing or declining. It's particular sectors and industries are growing and declining. Uh, and that's right. what you always have to think about. It's always something very specific. So we generally, generally speaking, we know STEM's increasing. There's lots of uh, funding in the arts industry as well. Uh, and we know low-skilled jobs are getting automated a bit more by robotics and AI systems and big data uh, programs as well. Yeah. But what you have to think about is the specific job roles, the specific mm. job sectors that you're interested in and if that one's increasing or, or declining in the country that you're based in fantastic okay chris so tell us where can people connect with you so my uh, latest book what is your interview identity is on any bookshop <laughs> amazon to you know tesco's and, and all the other hundreds uh, in between yeah uh, and then my website is employmentking.co.uk that's a brilliant title yeah i love it Okay, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really amazing hearing your story. And you're definitely dyslexic winner, <laughs> champion. <laughs> <laughs> Never use that other word again. I'm not even going to say it. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if you're ever in the Midlands, Birmingham, let me know. I'm not too far away from that. In person, maybe we meet up for a coffee or a lunch. That would be good too. So take care and bye for now. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests. So do get in touch, please. You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.